Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. So we're in a brand new series starting today called Switch, and I'm really fired up about this series. I really believe that God inspired this for this particular point in time of the church. And what we're going to be talking about is the way that Jesus meets people and the people who are difficult to deal with. Do we know anyone who's difficult to deal with? Anyone? Anyone? Are you next to the person? I'm just, look at me. I mean, I'm just, I'm asking you, not them. So sometimes, sometimes we actually live with that. Sometimes we are that person. Let's be honest. Sometimes we are that person. But what we're going to look at specifically throughout this series is two different perspectives of the human experience. One perspective is the way that Jesus views people and the way that he treats people, and then also the, the way that people respond to those that Jesus views and how he makes people who are seemingly invisible because of maybe who they are or how they are, and then how Jesus makes them visible and he elevates him as a person. And my hope and my desire for all of us at the end just not at the end of the series, but even week after week after we go through this so that we start changing the way that we see people. And we start changing the way not only that we see people, but also that we change the way that we, we love people and we, we take care of people and we behave around other people. And ultimately, how we can start seeing people like Jesus saw people, that he didn't just saw a, a, just people as being problems, but yet he had the ability to separate the person from the problem. And you're going to hear that a lot in this series. And I I know that this is a perfect series for where we are in the life of the church. And us coming together in the excitement of this time of year. And and the church coming together just as a whole right now. And God just taking, just bringing about momentum. And one of the things that has to change is is what's in our heart and the way that we, how we see people. And how we just behave around people. You know, for years I was a children's pastor, and I loved, I loved being a children's pastor. If you want to have some fun in ministry and service, serve with kids, you never know what they're going to say. Sure, some of them are a little hard to deal with, but they bring so much joy, so much wonder and optimism, and so much really hope, and just because they don't see things through the lens of the brokenness that we do. A good, most children don't. And so when you serve next to or you're serving with children, you're sitting on the floor and they're around, it's like they say things and do things. It kind of brings a, a sense of wonder even to the person. And, and with kids, and if you've raised kids, maybe your kids did this, there's the, the, there was always that, that seemed like a little boy who would, who would be in the room and who would just kind of like pull himself away from everybody else? And he would just stand in the corner and he would say, I'm invisible, right? And he's like, I'm invisible. And he'd look over and be like, dude, you're right there. Like you're, you're 100% visible. Like you just are. But kids, they just do that, don't they? And they think somehow that they can have these, these powers to change the world. And I think even when I was a kid, I just, you know, just wish. It was like, man, I really wish I had the, I wish I had the ability to be invisible, and not to hide from pain, but to save the world. And I thought that. And, and, I, and that was just kind of like one of the childhood wonders even that I had. And that just really inspired the whole series because what we're going to talk about is how taking people who are, who are invisible because of, of how they are, and we're going to elevate them because of who they are. And that's what we're going to see ultimately. Here's also what I know. You may say, well, who's the, who are the invisible people? Let me tell you who the invisible people are. The people that you tend to ignore because they're hard to deal with. 
The, the people you tend to ignore because they talk too much. The people that, that you tend to ignore because they don't talk enough. And it's that awkward silence and you talk and they don't talk and then you become skeptical of them and you're like, what are you thinking about? You ain't, you're not talking to me, I'm trying to talk to you. Do you have something against me? And sometimes it's just the person who just makes the loud outburst, who says whatever they're thinking without a filter and you're like, got to get away from that, right? And so there are all sorts of ways that, that we kind of put people in a category of being invisible simply because they're hard to deal with. And by being invisible, we just, we tend to ignore those that are hard to deal with, but that's just not the heart of Jesus. Actually, when Jesus saw the person or the people who were hard to deal with, when everybody else was scratching their head like, I don't know what to do, we're going to walk away, Jesus didn't scratch his head. Instead, he leaned toward them and he loved them. And I know this wholeheartedly about all of us, because we all have this one thing that plagues us, and it's called sin. Here's one thing that I know. Without God's help, without God's help, it is hard to see a person with a problem as anything other than a problem person. I just know that to be true. Uh, without, without God's help, we will just instinctively think, oh, there they are again. I can't believe they said it again. They did it again. Like, this is like a broken record. They do this over and over and over. Could somebody just please take the needle off the record? I would rather hear nothing than have to go and relive this thing again. And without God's help, we pigeonhole people and we start to believe things about people and we limit their potential because we think, we can think, that they are problem people. And we tend to avoid problem people because... We can't separate the problem from the person. So, the passage of Scripture that I have chosen for today, I believe that God chose for us, comes out of Mark, and we're going to be right at the beginning of Mark. And Mark 21 is what we're going to read, going through verse 28. It's a short passage of Scripture. So Mark 1, 21 through 28. Mark is an interesting gospel. There are four Gospels. There, there are three they call synoptic. Synoptic means same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is, some of the stories are the same, and it's similar writing. They're different to different audiences, different angles, but they call those the synoptic Gospels, and this happens to be one of them. This is the shortest Gospel, and the way that Mark would convey his, his gospel message, the, this biography of Jesus, if you will, he adds a lot of action. So he doesn't add a lot of fluff. It's like he uses the words like immediately, showing, hey, here's the next thing that happened in the sequence of time. Here's the next thing that happened. Here's the next thing that happened. Here's the next thing that happened. And let you know this is, this is an action-packed ministry of Jesus. And now we see right after Jesus had, had called his first disciples, James and John, the sons, sons of thunder, they were with him until the very end, these two, two disciples. Jesus had called these disciples, and Jesus just on his way, and ministries being had. And this is what happens in verse 21. It says, They went to Capernaum, and when the, Sab and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are, notice what, the, what this man who's possessed by demons, notice what he says. He says, I know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You see a man with a problem and it's a big problem. This would be someone who would be an invisible person in their day because they didn't know what to do with demon-possessed people. So much so, and some studies have been found, that one of the ways that they used to care for people that they thought were demon-possessed is it was a type of procedure, if you want to call it that, a surgical procedure, a medieval surgical procedure called trepanning. Now, you may not have heard of that, but maybe you want to try this at home. Please don't try this at home, by the way. They didn't know what to do with somebody who was demon-possessed, so they would, they would bring them into a pseudo-surgeon, and they literally would bring them in, and they would cut a hole in their skull, not making this up. They would take and cut a hole in the skull, and the idea would be if you take this chunk of their skull away, sounds great so far, right? You guys are all bought in, like, I can't wait to go to the doctor next time, see what they do. So it's like they would take this part of the skull and take it off. And the idea would be that because they didn't know what to do with this, this type of situation, that the, that the demon, the evil spirit, would just leave them. And then, I don't know why they would do this, but some people, they would like roll around like Flavor Flav, except not a clock. And they would take that little piece of the skull and they would actually connect it to a necklace. Almost to say, hey, I'm fine. I don't know who I am anymore, but I'm fine. Look here, here's my, you know. I guess just, I don't know why they would do that, but this is one of the things they found. And some of the research that was done, they actually went into these, these ancient cemeteries and they found that there was actually a significant amount of people who had been trepanned where they had cut a hole in their skull just to relieve the evil spirits. This would be someone they simply did not know what to deal with. Now imagine they're in the synagogue. It's not like a church service. It, it's, it's very distinct, a synagogue. It's not the temple. The temple would be in Jerusalem. That's where the sacrifices were offered. There would be synagogues all around the Mediterranean Rim, everywhere where there were Jewish people. I believe there had to be at least 10 Jewish males, 14 years or older. I believe that's the, that's the proper thing. 14 years or older, they could form a synagogue anytime there were at least 10 Jewish males, 14 years or older. So there were, there were synagogues around. A synagogue wasn't like a church like you would think of here. The synagogue would be, uh, people would, would come together and there was no pastor so it wasn't a place of shepherding. It was more a place of teaching. They, they, they expounded on God's word. They read God's word and they prayed. That's literally what they did. So they didn't offer sacrifices. But now this, this man, he walks into, barges into, and just a demonic, evil-spirited man barges into the synagogue that's usually a pretty chill place where, where any lay person could get up and they could share and they could expound and they could... They could take the Jewish scriptures and read the scriptures and try and give an explanation. And, then, and it was a place of debate, so they would go back and forth. And that's one of the things that was very significant about the synagogue. And now you see this evil-spirited man just barges in. And he, like, gets everybody's attention. You can just imagine if that happened through the double doors right now. Somebody just come in, and they're just out of control, demon-possessed. And then what will we all do? We would all turn around and look and be like, what in the world's going on? And some of us would probably freak out, like me, right here, because, you know, I'd be like right there, you know, about four paces from the door. So, so it would be that kind of environment. And, and, and again, we even know historically, they didn't know what to do with people who were demon-possessed. 
So this would be a gigantic problem for most people, but not for Jesus. Because, again, look at the way Jesus addresses people. I want to get into the weeds just for a moment. I know this is a question some people have, and I just want to clarify a few things before we move on. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Christians have the Holy Spirit of God. They cannot be demon-possessed. I have a a few scriptures that I want to read over you. You're not going to have time to flip to them, and they're not going to be on the screen. Um, the, The sources will be on the screen, but not all the passages. So I'm going to read these over you. You can write down the sources. You can take a picture of the screen if you want to look at them later, and that's fine. But I want you to know Christians cannot be demon-possessed. There is no example of a born-again Christian being demon-possessed in the Bible, by the way. There's, there's none. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. And the old has gone, and the new has come. What's new? Well, what's new is, uh, of many things, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? is what the Word of God says, whom you receive from God. Continuing on, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. So you see a transition from the old to the new. You see the transition of the old man to the new man. You see the transition of not having the Holy Spirit of God. And then when someone becomes a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, then they get the Holy Spirit of God. And we are a temple. The temple of God dwells in, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in God's temple, which is in men and women, boys and girls who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. One more passage of Scripture. Romans 8.38 says this, For I am convinced, notice how the Apostle Paul He picks this apart. This is going to be a familiar passage for some of you, but you probably haven't thought about it through the lens of demon possession because, you know, you have other things that are probably more pressing for your life. But Romans 8, 8, 38 and 39 says this. The Apostle Paul speaks this to, to his audience and to us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's nothing that's just going to weave its way in. If we have the Holy Spirit of God, we're loved by God, we're, we're, we're beholden to God, and God is beholden to us. There's no way that, that a demon is going to come into our life. Now, can't, are, are there evil forces around us? Yes, there are. That, that is, the world is full of demonic powers around us? Absolutely. You don't need to, to go and live your life and turn over rocks to find demons. They're, they're there. They're around us. They are. They accuse you. They manipulate. They, they tempt us. This is, this is the war that is being waged on followers of Jesus today. It's not demon possession. There's no demon possession that happens inside a follower of Jesus. This is important for us to know. Some of us have maybe been taught otherwise, and yet it is unbiblical and it's unfounded. So I wanted to go through that. Now let's back up back to verse 21. Now notice that this happens on the Sabbath. It says they went to Capernaum. Again, you see the, the sequence here in the Gospel of Mark just showing the sequence of time, one thing to the next to the next, calling of the first two disciples, the sons of thunder, James and John. Now they're Often doing ministry, just like that. It says they went to Capernaum, 
And when the Sabbath and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, I already told you about the synagogue. The synagogue was a place that there wasn't a pastor who would get up and speak every week. As a matter of fact, there was a, a person that they would assign called the ruler of the synagogue, but he wasn't a pastor. He would be a librarian. He would kind of organize some things. He would do some other things like that, but he uh, maybe even some custodial work, but he wouldn't actually be someone who was a pastor speaking every week. So people, lay people could get up and they could expound the word of God. And when they would expound the word of God, then they would create a debate about it. So now when you read in the gospels and you see about how Jesus would just be able to step into the synagogue and start teaching, this is why. Because the the Jewish synagogue was a place where they could just exchange ideas. This was a a sweet spot for Jesus' teaching and ministry because people went into the synagogue to hear and to listen and to to debate. So Jesus would would do this and not to stir controversy, but to bring truth. So this is where all of this happens and the miracle occurs. The word synagogue itself, it means gathering places. It's kind of a simplistic way of understanding that. Verse 22 It says this, these people were amazed at his teaching because he taught with them as one who had authority. We live in a world that has authority issues, don't you think? And in some of the reasons why there are authority issues is because there has been abuse of authority. So now there's so much happening in our world where we we kind of question the authority before we actually listen to the authority. But authority has been around for a very long time. There are different types of authority, and I'll explain just a couple ideas here before we get into Jesus' authority, which stands alone from the other versions of authority. A king would have inherited authority. If you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, anyone seen the movie Braveheart? Anyone? Oh, Braveheart. Love that movie. It's fantastic. It's a movie I could watch over and over and over again. Braveheart has a great bit of you see the, the kingship of Robert the Elder, that's the dad, and then Robert the Bruce. Robert the Elder was a coward. He was the, the king He was the, who had authority. He was the lord, and then, or he was a lord, not a king, but then he had this authority just as part of like the kingship and, and the lineage of life, and then it was passed down to his son, Robert the Bruce. So Robert the Elder dies, shocker, he dies, and then Robert the Bruce comes in, he himself is a coward, and then he turns out to be a hero. If you've watched that, you've actually seen this transition of inherited authority right before your eyes, even before you uh, even maybe even understood what that was. There are different types of authority as well. Uh, a, president of an accompany, a president of a company has delegated authority. The board of directors delegates he or she to be the president of the company. A professor has achieved authority. So a professor, they go to school, they, they get a doctorate, they complete a dissertation, they have whatever other types of training and continued training that they have to have. And then they, they have achieved authority and they achieve the position of, of professor. In all of these examples, the power is actually outside the person who holds the power. This is drastically different because Jesus' authority that he speaks with and that he always spoke with is inherent authority. The authority that Jesus had isn't authority from the outside. Instead, it's supernatural authority from the inside. So when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one with more authority than anyone else. Notice in the passage that actually the the remark that, that Mark gives 
is the people responding and are like, he's teaching with more authority than the teachers of the law. So it wasn't just that, that he was just expounding on, on the scriptures at the time. Instead, he was speaking, one, speaking as one with inherent authority because he's God. And because he is the source of all other authority. That word in verse 22 for authority is, is the Greek word exousia. Somebody say exousia. Nice. You guys are learning Greek today. You're learning with me. That's good. Notice in verse 23 and 24, notice how the demons respond to this authority. Verse 23, it says, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. So the people, at first, the people are just listening to another teacher, and yet... The demon-possessed man speaks to Jesus as what? The end of verse 24. Somebody look. The Holy One of God. So the demon-possessed man knows that Jesus has an authority that is more superior than any other authority, while the other people actually don't even have belief yet. And their response, the way that that Greek word comes through, it's not with them just having awe and wonder and belief. Instead, they have more of a view of skepticism. But I want you to know this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, not everybody goes from unbelief to belief. Some people have to go from unbelief to skepticism to belief. And that's okay. That's okay. You can go from unbelief to skepticism to belief. It happened then and it's happening now. So that's their response. The, the demon who's inside the man, is absolutely terrified. He conveys a message of horror, terror, and dread because he has just entered the space of a supernatural authority of God in the flesh. And the demon in that moment knew, the demon or demons knew that they were beaten. The word cried out, when, when the demon through the man cries out to Jesus, it means scream or to shout with strong emotion. And it describes the, the shrieks of someone experiencing deep agony. Deep agony. With the shrillness in their voice that you and I may never have experienced other than maybe on film. Or read it in a book. Notice that the, that the demon's response is using the word us over and over and over again. When the demon responds, in, the demon inside the man responds with us. And, and what many scholars believe is this word us is, is conveying through a message through, through Mark, is conveying this message that the, that the demon seen himself as being so intricately tied to this man. So now this, this identity the man's identity was so wrapped up into this, into this demonic presence inside of him. I think we all can agree that this would be the type of person that we would have no idea what to deal with ourselves. This would be the type of person who most people would tend to ignore or choose to make invisible. Two examples of what I'm talking about is in Mark 24... 
If you're to divide Mark 124 up uh, into part A and part B, it says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And then also it says, have you come to destroy us? Again, the, the demon inside the man was, saw itself as so intricately connected. You see, the, the, the way this dark angel, this demon responds is due to three aspects of Jesus' authority. I don't have time to, to go into all of this, but I want you to know, with the Holy Spirit of God, you also have the power to cast demons. With, with the Holy Spirit's help, not you, it's someone who's bathed in prayer, who knows the Word of God, who uses the Word of God effectively, and with the Holy Spirit of God working through an individual, you have that kind of power as a Christian. Well, how is it that you have this kind of power? Well, let me give you three aspects of Jesus' authority, and it's authority we can wield because if, because if we're in Christ, then it's Christ who dwells in us, and the same Holy Spirit that gave him the power to do what he did in ministry is the same Holy Spirit that lives within us if we're followers of him. The first is the authority of his word, the authority of his word. Romans ten seventeen says this, Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard by the, or through the word of Christ. Through the word of Christ. You can't lead someone to faith in Christ without giving the word of God. It's not just praying a sinner's prayer. You must have the word of God in there. When someone gives their life to Jesus, it isn't just making your commitment to God. It's the authority of the word of God then that shines light on you. And the Holy Spirit draws you, woos you, convicts you, and then you repent. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Another example of this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Passage continues, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, using the scriptures. So not only is there authority in his word, there's also authority in his judgment. How is it that the demons knew that they were beaten as soon as is, is they were in the presence of God. How? Because they knew, they're aware of the reality of Hebrews 2.16, that there's no salvation for fallen angels. Hebrews 2.16. And consequently, if we were to go into the Scriptures, into Revelation 20, 11, and 15, we would see that even all of those demonic spirits end up in the eternal lake of fire. That they're beaten. They're beaten because of the supernatural authority that Jesus has over them. Not only is there authority in his, in his word and in his judgment, there's also authority in his power. There's authority in his power. In verse 25, and we just read over this and just kind of glossed it. When Jesus shouts, be quiet, it says that said Jesus sternly, 
And, and if we were to dig deep into that Greek word, it's, it's a specific uh, Greek word of said sternly. And it's the word epitimo. And it's a, it's a technical word in, the, in Judaism, meaning that evil powers are brought into submission to prepare the way of the kingdom of God. So this is, he says sternly, he's saying that the evil powers are then brought under submission and they're rendered over to be available to uh, and prepared for the establishment of God's righteous rule. What amazes me about the authority of Jesus is this. The authority of Jesus is amazing not just because of the display of his glory, which is incredible, but also it's the power of redemption for those enslaved to sin. It's, the, it's the, the supernatural, phenomenal things that we see in like passages like this, that Jesus cast out demons, and everyone, if you are a God-fearing man or woman, you read this, and you're in awe, you're like, wow, that's Jesus. Like, that is, that is my Lord, that's my Savior. That's an amazing thing that Jesus did, and that, that he has done, and has a long history of doing. And I'm in awe of that as well. And you see such glory there, but I, but I also, this the authority that comes by just the power of redemption for those enslaved to sin. That it's that same authority that once a person, a man or woman, commits their life to Jesus Christ and, and the gospel message becomes alive in them and the Holy Spirit is infused in their life, those type of people, they carry the authority of Jesus with them. Not that they're equals to Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But it's just the power of redemption for those enslaved to sin. You see, miracles like this are proof that Jesus can reverse the ravages and consequences of sin while miraculously separating the sin from the sinner, or my words, the person from the problem. And this is what you see. Notice in this passage, the man barges into the synagogue a place of debate. This man didn't ask to be healed. Many people would say this man didn't even deserve to be healed. Instead, Jesus, being Jesus, he separates the sin from the sinner, the person from the problem. This is the switch. This is taking someone who's hard to deal with and they, they speak before they think about it. They don't have a filter. They're hard to deal with. Maybe at times hard to trust. And flipping a switch instead of having that person just to be non-viewed or just invisible by our choosing, but to make them visible because this is the heart of Jesus. Because if we were to look at this passage, and we could look at so many more, that hope stirs in these needy people. And hope is, is stirring in you right now. If you're in Christ, hope is stirring in you right now. Because the same authority that Jesus used to cast out this demon is the same authority that you wield. And it's the same authority that we want to gain more ground spiritually. Amen? It's the same authority that, that, that we want to continue being the new person in God that he wants us to be, person, people of righteousness, not unrighteousness, 
People of hope, not people of despair. People of love and not being people who are unloving. This only happens if we take the posture of Jesus because Jesus saw the person and Jesus solved the problem. Jesus didn't see the person as the problem. Oh, church. Let's be honest for a couple, shall we? How many times have we so intertwined that difficult person to where we've just seen them as a problem person and we think we have all these problems in our life that we have to deal with and if we can avoid this problem person, we're just gonna avoid them. How many times have we done that and we've limited gospel potential simply because someone is hard to deal with or because they think different than us or they vote different than us or they, they live on a different side of town than us or live or born and raised in a different state than us or they have a different skin color than us. How many times have you simply saw the person as a problem because they were different than you? Gets us in trouble, doesn't it? It gets us in trouble. You know, the posture of Jesus, we see in Psalm 103, verse 12 through 17. It says this about Jesus. And this should shape the way that we see ourselves and also the way that we shape the way that we see other people. That scripture says this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we're gone as though we've never been here. But the love of our Lord remains forever with those who fear him. I invite you to stand with me. You see, it's interesting in a message like this, we, we could receive this in a bunch of different ways. And I know of a couple different ways that we could receive this, and, and, but my mind is really small. And I know that God's, God's uh, ability and his authority carry so much more weight than my small mind. But even in my small mind, I think about this. I think, you know what? For the person who's not saved today, you may say, wow, Jesus loves like that. Jesus loves like that. For, for the person who's, who's not saved, you may, you may be just curious as to who this Jesus is and maybe even what this Jesus does. If he could heal a man who had such a difficult life, who seemed to be so powerless because the demonic spirit was so tied into him, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're, you're looking at this and maybe right now you're, you're moving from unbelief to skepticism and maybe even wonder where you're like, I want to get to know this Jesus. This is what it says about this Jesus. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, 
when we were powerless, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were powerless, like this man who was so enthralled in this demon was powerless to to cast it out by himself. He had a problem he could not solve. And let me tell you, sin is a problem that you cannot solve on your own. And it's, it's a problem that I can't solve for you. You can't come into my office. I can't counsel sin out of you. I can't pray sin out of you. I can't pray you into salvation. I just can't. I can show you, and it's the Holy Spirit's work that does a work in you. And right now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're, you're, you're taking this, this step in your heart where you just feel a movement going from unbelief and skepticism and, and wonder, and maybe now you're to the place where you just need to, to just make a decision to get to know this Jesus who died for the ungodly. This passage continues, and it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and you feel God doing a work in you right now, like that's your... That's your faith step that you need to make today. We're going to start singing, and this is your chance to respond by coming forward to say yes to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe you're the type of person who you've been, you have been making people invisible because they're simply hard to deal with, and you've been just writing them off, you've been ignoring them, and you feel convicted. This is a moment in time where, where you make the conscious act where you could come forward and just confess that and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've done this over and over and over. I'm supposed to be a, a, a minister to those around me. Instead, I've been, I've been a cold shoulder. Maybe this is the time for you to respond. And maybe for you, maybe you are the person who you know that you're hard to deal with and you feel like you're invisible. You're the invisible one. Maybe it's because something that you do, maybe you do talk too much. Maybe you're, you're just awkward socially to where you dominate conversations because you don't know what else to do. And, and now you realize that that's a problem. And that, that that problem actually could be a sin-led problem. There's an opportunity for you to come forward while we sing as well. You respond in the way that God wants you to respond. But for all of us, let's make sure that we flip the switch to we start taking people who were invisible and making them visible by the love of Jesus.